Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Tabletop Theory Podcast, where we talk about role-playing games, mental health, and how sometimes they cross into each other's worlds. I'm your host, Joe, and today I'm talking with Cheryl Pobbers. She has been a practicing marriage and family therapy candidate since 2014 and has experience in community mental health, emergency and crisis response, as well as private practice. And she currently runs several therapeutic D&D groups for her clients through Dynamic Healing in Colorado. And thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, hi. Um, and I know we were talking before this all started how this how we got connected over Twitter, and I'm just really grateful that that could happen. It's something that, um, as I did the interview a few weeks ago with Peter, I've been talking to a few more folks about getting some things like this put together, and um, it's really amazing to see like how big this community of people that are doing like applied RPG work actually are. I mean, that's it's really encouraging to me just to see how many more people are doing it. It's it's really cool. Um, but I'm wondering, as this thing sort of grows, more people are starting to like learn about it. And um, I'm wondering if you could sort of describe in your own words, like what is a therapeutic DM? Oh yeah. Um, so I would say that a therapeutic dungeon master is someone who is trained in therapeutic skills who uses uh, RPGs as, uh, intentionally uses those mm -hmm. as, uh, as a tool, uh, as a delivery method for therapy. Okay. Yeah. And um, so this is something that you've been doing before you, uh, you've been doing therapy work before you started playing D&D &D, or was it yeah. sort of backwards? No, no, I, I was a therapist first. Okay. So yeah. um, how did the group program that you're running right now, how did that sort of get started? So, oh boy. So way back in the day when I was in community mental health, um, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons. And that's primarily my biggest um, RPG experience. So I'm probably just going to say D&D &D instead of RPG. Um, but yeah, so some... Some friends of mine helped me find a nerdy social hobby, and I played with them, I'd say, twice before I was like, why is this not a therapeutic right. thing? Right. Yeah. Um, it, it felt so powerful to me right off of the bat. Absolutely. When I was doing grad school, I was thinking the same thing. I've been playing for a long time. And then it's like, I'm learning about all these interventions and a solutions focused approach. I'm like, why isn't, why aren't more people doing this? Yes. Yes, exactly. And so as, as soon as I had that, what seemed like a genius idea, <laughs> because obviously no one's doing it. It's just oh, me yeah. who had this yeah. idea. <laughs> um, I started scouring the internet trying to find anyone else who did it. And so, you know, like you were talking about the community, it, it either wasn't as big or people weren't as vocal about it. Um, this was like 2017. So not even that long ago. Um, I was, I was doing the best I could with all my different combined Google searches. And I managed to find um, the Adams, uh, Adam Davis, Adam Johns with what was wheelhouse workshop uh, back in the day. I saw a video recording of them at one of the packs. Um, I don't even know what those are called conventions. 
Is that a convention? Sure. I mean, convention works. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They were at PAX talking (laughs) about like how not to be a murder hobo and that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, And it was, it was fantastic. Um, And it gave me a lot of good ideas. And um, I, I felt really scared about using it as a tool without there being a lot of research behind it. Um, I'm really lawful good in real life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so hurting people is at the bottom of my list. Uh, protecting people is at the top and trying to figure out how to use it appropriately and not hurt people was my main goal. Um, and so it was like talking to other therapists and other D and D nerds and just trying to figure out like, do you do combat? Do you use monsters? Like, how how is this all going to work in a way where people's parents aren't going to be like what did you just do with yeah. my kid what what do you mean you're you know going to attack a raider village and you know slay a dragon and cast spells and all that exactly right yeah. like it it can be violent um yeah. and there i had a lot of questions about whether that's like cathartic or mm. is it you know, oh no, video games are bad for you. They, they, right. <laughs> they foster yeah. violence. It's yeah, it's, it's something similar happened. Um, when I started looking into the whole therapeutic thing as well, using RPGs, it's, I was surprised. Like I, I grew up playing. And so I heard about the satanic panic that happened in the eighties around Dungeons and Dragons. And I was shocked at like how many people that's still like their only point of reference for D and D and, just going through the whole process of like, no, it's, it's not devil worship. It's something that has like a lot of really potential therapeutic upside and like, yeah, no, I, I I get that. It's, it's, it's sort of an odd bridge to think about crossing. Yeah. Yeah. And so trying to figure out how to, like, I knew I could convince kids pretty easily because that's, that's the main point of the group is it's fun. Yeah. It's not, 10 of us sitting around in a circle talking about our feelings Mm -hmm. another failed group that i hate going to and you can't make me this is oh my gosh we're gonna play a game and it's so much fun and i'm invested in it Mm -hmm. um it and so the trick was trying to figure out how to convince uh my supervisors (laughs) the people who pay me um and then people's parents Mm -hmm. to think that it was an okay use of their kids time yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that was the trick. So, so I guess, how did that go? I mean, how, how did the journey of like actually getting people on board? I mean, cause like you said, the, the, the clients, you know, presumably the young people are, they're on board with it. I mean, they might even already know what D and D is, but like mm-hmm. getting their, their parents and your supervisors on board, like, what was that like? Yeah, it actually wasn't as hard as I thought. Um, a lot of it had to do with telling people what D&D is and what it isn't and how it's going to work and um, how much time it was going to take and where we were going to do it and all all the logistical stuff. And I was like, it's an experiment, you know, so we'll run it for 10 weeks and see what happens. Um, and so I, I managed it, it from the point where I started playing to the point where I started my first group was probably about eight months. So I wanted to learn how to play D&D first so that I knew the rules. And then I had to DM 
which was super scary, um, a whole nother level. Um, and then I had to convince people that I could do that and do therapy at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's sort of, it, when you say it like that, it does sound like a whole lot of hoops to jump through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. And it's, it's a lot to like be flowing through you at one yeah, time. Absolutely. Um, and so at the time I was working with mostly adults, I'm primarily like an individual and relationship counselor. Um, and so I was a little bit scared of the kids and having like them outnumber me. So I convinced another one of my D and D friends to, who's also a therapist to co-facilitate with me. And so we had, we had that going for us. We have two therapists in the room. They were going to be kind of like my deputy dungeon master. They were going to like play an NPC, but also like help with room facilitation. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I was going to run the game and run any emotional processing type stuff that happened. Okay. Do you mind if I ask you a question about how that sort of worked yeah. out? It's um, so when you say sort of having a co-GM help facilitate sort of, I guess, the rules of how it, of, of what was going on some of the um, time, but also play an NPC. Yeah. I mean, more, more, they were there to, um, like group facilitate. So okay. if I was in charge I gotcha. of rules and story and emotional processing for like the group, they were there to help with behavioral stuff to make sure like, oh, um, like you're, you're disrupting over here. Like, hey, I'm going to pull you aside and talk to you or you are triggered by something. So we'll pull you out in the hall and talk to you or, you know, just uh, we, we ran like meditations and stuff too. Like, uh, at the beginning of group, we had this cool script where it was like, imagine like the weight of your armor and the smell of the campfire. Oh, and wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It was really cool. So we had like all these middle schoolers coming in right after school, super buzzing. Yeah. And like we, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so we, we have them do a meditation and usually my co-facilitator would lead that while I'm like, doing all the stuff because there were lots of things. Um, and then we'd play. And so if, if we needed an extra NPC, um, the way it was set up back then was they were, they were in a school, they were in like an adventuring academy and they were incoming students. And so our co-facilitator would have been like a, an NPC who was like a high, of a higher grade than okay. them who would show them the ropes. Yeah, sort of like a mentorship component. Yeah. yeah. So when you talk about the idea of like emotional processing inside the group, um, do you does that all happen sort of out of game? If, for example, if you have a, a group member who feels sort of triggered by something or maybe something happened that they're trying to process through, or does that, do you do that in game? How does that usually, I mean, I know everything's different from an instance by instance, but like, I'm wondering if there's like, sort of an average yeah i mean it's it's the classic it depends right so right. um if if they feel comfortable talking about it in the moment we can pause game and talk about it um in the moment and ask them what they need you know it kind of goes along the lines of um like the x cards and stuff like if something's too much we can we can we stop and we change gears and so 
you know, it's easier now online. I can check in with them and see how they're doing. Um, when it was in person, especially when it was just me, because um, since I've moved from community mental health, it's just me. I don't have a co-facilitator anymore. We just kind of, you get a feel for who's ready to talk and who isn't. Um, but most of the processing happens after. So we have like 15 minutes of check-in and then we play. Uh, my groups are two hours long. So what mm -hmm. we play now I'm doing math. We have half an hour at the end okay. where we do emotional processing and group processing. So we play that's, in between there. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the programs that I'm helping to facilitate, the timeline is roughly similar, but since we're sort of trying to suss out how it all works, um, I like the idea of including time at the end for processing. I think that that is a really smart idea. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, is it just, are you going over things that people sort of bring to group or is it more like going over things that happened in game sort of interpersonally between the players? Yeah, it, it kind of depends on what, what the, what they bring up. Um, most of it is, you know, oh, what happened in game and it was really cool when you did this, or it was really frustrating when you did that. Um, but I try to also ask them questions about how it felt for them as a person to do things, you know, like it seemed like that was really hard for you to do, or what was it like to hear all these people call you like their leader? Um, you know, um, I know their personal goals for therapy, so I can, I don't have to be like, so how, how were those social skills? <laughs> like, how's the social anxiety? But I can, I can say like, wow, that seemed like it was really hard for you to do. Like, how, how did you manage to, to pull that through? You know, what were you thinking to yourself? What were you telling yourself? Um, so it, it all kind of depends on what happens in the game. You know, if, if they had combat versus some sort of social situation or, who knows? Yeah. Um, that sort of brings up another question. Um, what kind of adventures are you using in these group settings? Are they pre-built or are they ones that you've created? Uh, it's different now than it was back when I started. Okay. So when I started, I tried to incorporate like a hodgepodge of different modules in there in technically like a homebrew setting that I created myself. You know, like I said, I created at that academy and that was a lot of work and the kids were like, okay, I guess we're going on this quest now. Um, but now it's way different and surprisingly way easier is we just create the world together. It's a lot more collaborative. So when we first started group the very first day, they had already made their characters with me on, in like one-on-one -on -one, uh, sessions. So they came in knowing who their characters were, but we created the world together. Like um, this was pre-COVID times. So I have like one of those giant post-it note, like sticky. Like the, like the kind that you can stick on the wall and they're like four feet by two yeah. feet or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they're real yeah, big. Yeah, yeah. So we, we drew the shape of our continent and we put landmarks on it and they named things. And then they told me, you know, what they thought would be happening in these different places, um, you know, asking them what their characters would find motivating, you know, do they want loot? Do they want to kill monsters? Um, for some reason, they were really into like cults. 
and like huh. political stuff. You know, they were like, things are happening in this city and they're doing human sacrifice. And I'm like, okay. Okay. Wow. That's, that's really specific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so like we have the whole thing set up and I have it under the primer that um, my groups are called Weavers of Destiny. Okay. Um, and that's me trying really hard not to use the words Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get it. it do, do you, I mean, just as an aside, do you feel mm -hmm. like there are some people that are like a little bit hesitant to still sort of like either sign up or sign their kids up for something that uses Dungeons and Dragons? Um, I think it's more I'm afraid of stepping on toes or riding on coattails. Cause like in my descriptions, I'll still say like we're playing fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons um, or at least a version of it. Um, but I'm, I'm, I, I want it to be different than just, I'm just playing D and D with my friends. Right. So I, I wanted some sort of separation and also a sense of identity as far as like being in the group. Um, cause that's a big piece of it for me is, um, feeling like I belong somewhere or like yeah. I'm special cause I'm in a group. Um, cause it's like the whole community aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, that was really big is, um, you know, once you start playing D and D you wear like a, a t-shirt out in public and someone's like, I play D and D right, tell me yeah. about your favorite character. Yeah. You know, who are you playing right now? It's like a big club. Yeah. And so like. With my kids, they're the, in the Weavers of Destiny. And essentially that is uh, an overarching adventurer's guild who like people know that if there are problems or monsters or whatever in their town, they can call for the guild to come and protect them or save them. And the idea is there's so many things happening in the world right now. There's been a huge influx of problems that they have uh, set out like an open audition for new adventurers and adventuring parties. That's a really cool hook. <laughs> so they come, they try out. That's what like session one is, is them like getting straight into combat-ish type scenarios or using their skills like stealth right. or pickpocketing or whatever, like the kids characters can do to make them feel special and practice actually playing. Um, and then they get sent off on like a mission that's supposed to be like a man, whatever you're a probationary member. And then they end up stumbling into a much bigger plot, which they themselves kind of created. So and yeah, I just no. take, take the wheel from there. So when you say that they themselves created it, I'm wondering mm -hmm. like, hearing the way you're describing like sort of creating the world, it sounds kind of similar to what I've done with some of the groups that I've got. I've got two groups that are running concurrently in the same world and mm. sort of what happens in one group will affect potentially some of what's happening in the other group. Um, you know, if say they accidentally depose or on purpose depose a king or something like that, like uh -huh. that can cause political ramifications elsewhere. But when you're, you're talking about like um, creating the world together, I mean, obviously drawing the continent sounds incredible, but like when your players are giving you sort of their ideas for like backstory and like where their characters come from, do, mm -hmm. do their backstories sort of inform world creation? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So they all get to pick where they're from on the map and describe what their town was like. 
Um, you know, they tell me how they became an adventurer and my kids find it hilarious that almost all of them are orphans in some form or another. That seems obviously. to be common. <laughs> yeah. So, but they, they bring it up all the time. They're like, oh my gosh, like, are you an orphan too? <laughs> um, it's, it's like, yeah, I think it's a pretty common trope in, in a lot of my players too. It's they're, they're either orphans or they've had some kind of great deal of personal tragedy that have driven them to take their show on the road. Yes. It's like death of a loved one or something yes. like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Classic, classic D&D. Because if your life was happy, why would you leave to go do the most dangerous job? Exactly. Like yeah. you, everything's fine. You have a good job. You have a stable family. Why would you go fight dragons? Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's chaotic and yeah, weird. So yeah, they, they helped me build the world. Um, their backstories uh, are all in there. I try really hard to fold that in. Um, a lot of times if they're visiting a new town, I'll be like, who do you know here? Or have you been here before? Or even if they haven't, like what's a cool thing or an interesting thing that you could find there? So you're leaving that kind of association up to them in the moment? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, or like the day before or the week before rather, um, yeah. And I, I have to build stuff in there too, but at least some of those things that they, they want are, are in there. That's awesome. I love yeah. the idea of just like, um, I had a, a GM a long time ago that one of the favorite things that she would do is basically whenever you would walk into a shop for the first time, um, the question would be, what do you see there? So like, not just what are you looking for, like talking it through the shop, like talking to a shopkeeper or something like that, but what do you actually see in the shop? And mm -hmm. like, I, I love the idea of just giving the players the chance to populate the world around them into what they want, because that's, mm -hmm. I think it can be really powerful in a lot of cases because it not only, you know, gives the players a leg up in terms of like what they want to do in the game, but it also kind of gives me an insight into like where their head's at and what they're thinking. I'm wondering if you, feel similarly or how that's oh yeah yeah definitely i mean the whole point of this is to bolster creativity and imagination and for me i know a big thing that i get out of just playing DD in real life and not just as uh as a therapist is you know that improv like thinking of things on the spot where normally i'm pretty slow and need to process things and this is like just pick something you know, like just pick a name or yeah, it's red. I don't know. Um, and just, you just see what happens. And because we're a group, you know, we add on, stack on to each other's ideas. It's, it's not all on me. And I feel like that takes a lot of the pressure off of me as a DM or as a player. Absolutely. Um, but also it, I think it gives the kids or the players um, a sense of autonomy as far as like something I want became real and i think for a lot of kids especially their age if they're with an adult or somebody an adult is telling them how it is as opposed to them getting a say so it's kind of a combination of yes i'm creating a world for them so they don't have to do all the work because that's not the point of being a player but at the same time like if he wants to play a harmonica, then the next town they go into, sure, there's a harmonica in the music store, right? Like, right. cool. <laughs> I mean, it, it's an easy thing to give and it provides so much benefit to the players themselves just to let them sort of run that particular creativity train of thought as far as they want to take it. Yeah, I think it's yeah. really great. 
So um, I got to ask, though, do you prefer to play or do you prefer to run the game? Um, Or do you have a preference? <laughs> I like balance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I play a lot. I play like two or three times a week um personally i think that's like a healthy amount sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's covid you know, yeah it's right cool. i mean everybody's kind of stuck home at least <laughs> they have been and you know what else are you gonna do <laughs> yeah exactly um and i like it um i know that it takes a lot of work so i offer to dm if someone is feeling a bit burnt out but i know other people prefer it so it's just a matter of who's in the mood and what's happening. Yeah. Um, with, with the therapeutic stuff though, I think it's, it's really cool <laughs> to DM for them. Um, they are so appreciative and they are having so much fun. And I see kind of the ripple effect of not just what's happening in game, but what can happen in their life over the course of time. A lot of the kids that are in my group right now, I've been working with them since January of last year. Um, and so they've rolled over through my 10-week yeah. groups a few times. And it's it's great to see them progress, like not even just their character arcs, but like just how they treat each other um, and yeah. how the group functions. And it's it's really cool to to watch that happen just through D&D. &D. Yeah. It is, I, similarly, we've had um, the groups that I've been running um, at the university for about two years now. It's really cool to see that growth from like a group of strangers to like a group of pretty close friends over the course of how everything's sort of come together, especially through COVID. I mean, when we had to take all of our stuff online, um, seeing them all still sort of bring that intensity and desire to not just play, but also like hang out with their friends and sort of still keep that part of the community going. I mean, it was, it was hard. It was different, but it was still, I saw a lot of enjoyment out of it. And I saw the, the, the players like really keep their investment sort of going strong. And like when things sort of shifted for COVID, how did that work out for you and your groups? Oh, it was tough. Um, because I used to have groups just right here in my office. Um, and I did a lot with the physical stuff. So we had like color coded yeah. character sheets and I gave everybody their own dice and they had folders that had like the rules or their spells and stuff in them. Um, whenever anyone tells me what character they're gonna be, I go out and I buy a mini that then they have their right, own yeah. mini. Um, and, you know, sitting around a table, there's a lot of just nonverbal stuff that is Absolutely. super important for role playing. Um, and we would have snacks. Snacks. <laughs> yeah, I remember snacks. <laughs> yeah, snacks. And, you know, a, a big piece of it was that before and after in the lobby time where like, the, the kids, their parents would drop them off. So, you know, they're having some sort of interaction in the car on the way here and on the way home. And then in the lobby, the kids are getting to interact um, before group starts. Or I, if a kid is having a hard time or I need to ask them a question, I can just pull them aside really quick and it's no big deal. And so moving online, I hesitated for a minute. Like, even though my friends and I were playing online, we didn't know what was going to happen in the world. 
and yeah. moving online was huge. And because I'm a therapist and I had to think of like HIPAA and all the things. Right. So I had to figure out what, what to do. Um, so a few weeks in, I finally decided to move it online and we used uh, Zoom and Roll20. And so then I had to teach everybody how to use Roll20, um, which is a mission. Um, yeah, but now that they've, they've got it, um, it, it seems to be going okay. And they really like the chat function. Everyone mm -hmm. really likes to see each other's roles. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then the, the, the autonomy to like turn your camera on or off if you want to um, seems to be helpful for them sometimes. So. Yeah. I know yeah. Um, it, it was similar for me when COVID sort of shut everything down. It happened the week of spring break. And, um, what happened was we just, we weren't going to play that week anyway. So it was sort of a, a moment for us to sort of collect our thoughts. And we took the next week to sort of have a conversation about like, okay, what are our options? And I was lucky enough to actually have some group members that are like really good at discord and really good at roll 20 to be like, let me teach you this. And I'm like, okay, so you're, you're like, you're fully invested in like, yes, this is how you organize roll 20. This is how you move the map around. This is how you do all that stuff. Cause I had never touched that stuff before COVID. And I think for a lot of the same reasons you talked about, it's just, you don't get as much of that sort of level of communication for on the other end of a zoom call, but you know, mm -hmm. what other choice did, did we have? It just, it, the show for lack of a better term had to go on. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I feel like I've learned a lot running some games online, but we've also been lucky enough to actually start to meet again in person, but we've been doing it in like these massive ballrooms. Oh. So with like only six people. So like a giant 900 square foot space, everybody's wearing a mask and they're like 10 feet apart from each other. And I've got everything up on a projector screen, but like, they're like the room is completely too big for what we're trying to do. So we're like <laughs> shouting across the room, but like, um, it's, I, I still think it's, Oh, sorry camera went out of juice <laughs> that's cool um i still think it's a little bit um i still like in person over online even if we're still so much further apart because i don't know it's just like you said that non-verbal element of having that type of um communication you, you really miss it mm -hmm. if you're not going to be in front of people mm -hmm. i mean if you're just going to be on zoom so yeah. Um, are you all still doing it online? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be online until they uh, remove indoor mask mandates. Okay. So it'll be a minute. Um, and I would have to rent a space now because I have six kids in my group at the moment and my office will not hold six kids plus me comfortably. Yeah. It's just one of those things you, you think back at like, how comfortable everybody used to be able to be just being in a small space together. And now it's just sort of, it's nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, for Colorado it's probably going to be a minute until we can be together again. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that'll just be another logistical thing <laughs> we, we tackle. Yeah. Um, so when I got, I'm wondering over the process of doing all of this sort of client work and actually just probably running D and D on your own. Um, uh -huh. I'm going to guess that people have asked you like, how do I become a DM? 
Oh, um, I have had a couple of people ask and basically like, are, are we talking just DM in general? Probably. I mean, okay. yeah. Just how do, how do I start? <laughs> Not running the therapist kind. No. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, I've had, I've had the reason I bring it up is cause I've had clients that I say clients, students that have come to me and been like, I want to learn how to do this. I want to learn how to run my own games. Mm -hmm. And they've sort of felt like, I guess, apprehensive maybe about taking on that sort of responsibility. So, um, I'm curious, like if you've had that experience and yeah. if you have like, what do you tell people? Cause it oh. all sort of depends, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And there's different personalities of people in DMS, right? So right. I've definitely had kids get super excited about dungeons and dragons and either they or their parents ask me like, all right, they love this. Um, like what books or things can I get them for Christmas or their birthday or whatever. And so I'm like, here is a list of the minimum amount of stuff that you'll need to understand the rules for 5e, right. um, at least. Um, and I, I try to ask people like, well, do you want to run a module? Do you want to create it yourself? How do you feel as far as like, are you a, a person that needs to prepare everything and have lots of notes? Or are you more of a think on your feet type of a person. Um, I have a friend back in Oregon. She is very creative and very good at improv and hates rules. <laughs> she is an awesome DM. It's yeah. way different than how I DM, but she's great at what she does. And she, she creates awesome worlds and adventures and stuff. And it's, it's great. So, um, mostly it's just try and figure out like, what do you think your process is? Mm -hmm. I'm very much a prepare ahead of time and have all the notes and that kind of a thing. Um, so when I first started DMing, I just had too much stuff. Like I have Instagram photos probably of just all the things that are around <laughs> me as I'm trying to create the perfect thing. But then, you know, players come in and then they literally burn it down and you're like, right. <laughs> Oh, I spent so long making that and you just burned it down. Oh no. Yeah. No, I, I, I get, I, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Or like all the clues lead in this direction where all the prep is, but then they go in that direction and you yeah. have to improv anyways. Um, so mostly, uh, yeah, I just, it's, it's, it's reading and it's what kind of a world do you want to play in? Um, do you want to be rules heavy or fun heavy? Um, and how do you, how do you like listen? How do you, how do you hear what the players want and what they're asking you? How do you know how to describe the world to them? How do you articulate what's in your head and put it in their head? Like, how do you take this picture, turn it into words and give it to them so that they hear what you're trying to tell them? Um, and, and mostly it's like, just, just try it and practice. Um, it was scary at first because there's a lot going on. It took a lot of energy. I know I was really tired after the first time I DM'd because it's yeah. just there's so, just so much happening. Yeah. There's, there's six people shouting at you all at once and they're <laughs> arguing and there's dice and there's monsters and there's initiative and there's the map and all the things. 
Um, so yeah, it's mostly just try to do what feels fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) because if it's too much like work, then you're not going to want to do it anymore. That's, that's really true. If it's true of anything, if you're just not going to enjoy it, then you're probably not going to put your whole self into it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you need the books, find a friend, they probably have them borrow Mm. the books before you commit to buying them. Right. Yeah. Cause (laughs) they can get expensive pretty quickly developing your own, um, sort of library of books and, uh, yeah, it's, Yeah, that's that's an expensive part of the hobby for sure. Yes, and I'm a collector, so ah. I, 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 I buy them. I don't mm-hmm. like the PDF versions. I need, yeah. I need the, the hardcover in my hands. It's, yeah, it's it's honestly for me, it sounds goofy, but it's the smell of the new book. <sighs> I don't. I, it's it's the new book smell. Like the very first time that I played um, second edition D and D way back in the day, like the the guy who was the dungeon master at the time just got the brand new monster manual which was like back in the day it was like a three ring binder kind of thing and he cracked it open and he just like took a big deep sniff of it and i'm like that's super weird and he's like no it's the best smell ever and so i guess that like imprinted on me and it's like now every new book i buy i have to smell it Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's super Mm -hmm. weird but like um getting the minis getting the books getting all that stuff i think you're right It, it just comes down to like learning what works for you and also just figuring out if it's going to be fun. Yeah. Like finding your own style. I think that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Cause you're right. Every GM has their own unique way to tell their own stories because even if they're just running like, um, gosh, I don't know, curse of Strahd or something like that. It's, it's going to be different every time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of one of the wonderful things about D and D because there's, there's no two games that are the same if only by virtue of the GM changing, it could be the same players and it's going to go completely differently. And I think at least thinking about it therapeutically, that's also one of the really cool draws of it because it can be really client specific to what you're trying to do. But then also it's interesting to think about it um, from almost like a research and evidence-based perspective too, because like, if you're, I don't know, I would never run Curse of Strahd for clients, but just like, as an example, like a a game, uh, heck, Lost Minds of Fandelver, like the starter pack adventure. Mm -hmm. If I'm wondering, like, you think if you were to try to do like evidence-based D&D work, that it would almost necessitate using the same adventure to sort of get like that type of evidence-based response or I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't think so. I think a lot of the great stuff that happens is like outcome as opposed to um you know i guess if you were trying to be super hardcore about it yeah you'd probably have to run the at least the same course of stuff because like i don't run modules so like a big piece of it for me is the kids creating their world. And if yeah. I, if I did that, then that's never going to be the same. Um, so, yeah. but I think it's more like for, for us, it's, it's, you know, what, what problems or concerns or symptoms or whatever are you coming in with? What are your goals? And then did you achieve those goals? And then what other um adjacent things may have changed in your life or Mm -hmm. people's perception of you 
you know, like parents or caregivers or friends or whoever, like, how do they think you're different? Um, I don't know that you, yeah, you can tell I'm not a PhD. <laughs> I Me don't, neither. Me I neither. don't care. <laughs> I'm like science. <laughs> um, well, like I mean, it, yeah. it probably would have to be the same. I guess that's if you're trying to prove like the effectiveness of that module or yeah. just D and D in general. That's a good point. Yeah. Are you trying to, you, you have to first, I guess, prove the methodology. I don't know. Too much into the weeds on PhD <laughs> I talk. Know. I'm sorry. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm too yeah, deep. Taking it too seriously. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's really interesting. And that's, that's something that's kind of missing right now. Right. Is, mm-hmm. is a lot of the new research that wasn't just like, does D and D cause people to commit suicide? Um, right. Yeah. It's, it's the sort of alarmist stuff that people through have been actually thrown out for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, that's, that's the big thing is we need, we need stuff that is RPGs or applied RPGs or whatever. And whatever, whatever measurements we're trying to find, because again, the, the way I look at it is D and D is is kind of like how I, I get therapy in <laughs> into the situation. So D&D isn't the necessarily like the thing that needs to be the same. I'm teaching like dialectical behavioral therapy skills and through narrative therapy concepts, I'm having kids create stories and right, yeah. do all that kind of stuff. And so I'm still using my therapeutic models that do have research attached to them just mm. through this delivery system of a game. Right. So that it doesn't feel yeah. like, all right, so on the whiteboard over here, we're going to go over the acronym Dear Man. Um, it's... <laughs> NPCs talking to each other about like how to be assertive and how to have Mm -hmm. boundaries and you know having the kids recognize in the NPCs and how they do it like ooh like that didn't seem like a very effective way Mm -hmm. to ask for what you want maybe try this other way right yeah I I think that's a really good way to put it I think trying to use D&D as a way to sort of access those therapeutic methods that you're talking about makes a lot of sense because yeah i mean i I get what you mean like i've run process groups for um uh young clients who are uh in substance abuse recovery and that 90 minute process group can feel really really long or if you get them involved in it and you you're able to get them having a conversation about what's going on it's Mm -hmm. the shortest 90 minutes in the world but Mm -hmm. it's it's that sort of like pre-session opinion where like if people want to play D, it's going to be fun for them and then you're going to be able to work with them but if they're maybe a mandated client and they're just sort of like it's either go do this sort of rehabilitation work or maybe even face prison time mm-hmm. it doesn't really feel like it's something that people can benefit from but i think mm-hmm. the the lens that you push it through or you know work with is it says a lot so yeah it's it's like the airplane with a spoon method for taking your therapy. Yes. (laughs) It's it's great. Cause like these kids are a lot of the kids I see are burnt out on groups um, or they never would go to a group because of Mm -hmm. social anxiety stuff. Um, And, and this gets them to want to show up 
they're still participating. They're having fun. It's having all those like adjacent beneficial factors as far as yeah. like creativity and imagination and all the things they do outside of group. Um, and while they're there, they're getting like their choice of emotional distance from their character. You know, they can either be zoomed out and watching something happen and learn from a safe distance, or they can be in it and really, really feel it but in a safe space, because if my character goes to jail, that might be super tense and scary, but right. I'm fine. I'm just hanging out. I'm not in jail. Um, so it, it, and it, afterwards that processing of it, they can, they can start connecting dots mm -hmm. that maybe they wouldn't, if like, I was just trying to cram information into their brains. Instead, they kind of had a way to assimilate it. Um, you know, just like work makes you do, you know, like role play yeah. talking, selling this TV to this client, right. to this, this sort customer. of corporate training. Mm -hmm. it's, but way it's, more fun. Yeah. Way more fun. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned burnout a little while ago about like, not only your, your, your kids being burned out on groups, but also mm -hmm. like GM burnout. Um, and your groups on your um, your site say it lasts for about 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with burnout during that time? As a yeah, team? yeah. So I, I try to take a break between the 10 week periods um, just to kind of give myself some, just some, some bandwidth. Um, but mostly for me, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of the other therapist burnout stuff that I have to keep an eye out on, especially nowadays, um, where I have to take care of myself because I'm yeah. the tool. Right. And if the tool isn't sharp, then it's not going to do its job. Um, so it's trying to make sure I take breaks during the day and, you know, go for walks and drink enough water and do fun things and be around people, even if it's on Zoom, um, and take breaks like vacations if I need them. Um, so, you know, if, if I'm getting an inkling, I've been doing this for a while now where I can kind of see the, the, the like the little inkling, the little sparklings of burnout occur, you know, like I know for me, if I come home and instead of cooking dinner, I order it, but like several nights in a row, not just like once in every, every, <laughs> every yeah. once in a while, I know that's an indicator to me that I'm too tired and I'm doing something, something else during the day needs to be different. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I have to re-examine, like, is this a bad week? Was it heavy? Um, what else is going on in my life that I need to account for? Um, did I have a decent weekend? Was it revitalizing? Was it recharging? Mm -hmm. um, and as far as like DMing and stuff goes, I'd say like, that would be if, if it doesn't feel fun anymore. If yeah. I, if I have to prep and I'm like, oh, why do I have to do this? Instead, I'm like, oh yeah, like the kids are going to a library. <laughs> what in the world are they going to research? Now I have to come up with a bunch of 
books. Right. Yeah. You got to <laughs> oh, have boy. little teaser lines for like at least 10 books. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I made my library, not a library. I made it a person. They're like an Oracle. So that's really smart. <laughs> they had no idea. Um, but they, they love it now that they're there. Um, but yeah, so mostly it's just paying attention to those inklings. Like, mm -hmm. do I dread it? Do I still look forward to it? And if I don't, then what do I need? Do I need a break? Do I need some distance? Or is there something else that's wrong? Um, and that's going to be contextually dependent, mm -hmm. you know? Do you think, um, I don't know. I mean, do you ever have conversations about burnout in the groups? like with the, with the clients, or is that something that you feel like is sort of a backstage thing? Um, with my clients, I don't really see that so much. If anything, they're like real excited. Mm -hmm. Um, I know they benefit from time, um, because I know it like builds anticipation, you know, it mm -hmm. doesn't just become a routine where they have to be there. Um, I guess the thing that we talk about most is like zoom burnout. Cause I know they're doing yeah. school or they have been, had been until very recently school all day. Yeah. Zoom forced to have your camera on, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm like, all right, two more hours of zoom. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. There's um, there's a lot of that. And my students did something similar when we all started moving online, they were on classes online and then they were on discord and then eventually zoom to play more games and, you could definitely see that sort of like energy drop when mm -hmm. it came to participating over another video call. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and so I know that that happens for us. And so if, if it comes up, if people's cameras are off for a while or different things, like they aren't participating, like they normally do, I'll check mm -hmm. in and just try and see like, what's up, you know, like, Hey, so-and-so you haven't talked in a while. Your character hasn't done anything in a while. Like, is there something mm -hmm. that you want to be doing? And they'll tell me straight up, like, this is boring. <laughs> We're in a library. This is not what I want to be doing. <laughs> you know, that, that clarity, though, that is helpful, I, 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 <laughs> I would say. I mean, I, I've definitely had players tell me that before, too. It's just like, I'm, I'm not having a good time. I'm, I'm out. And it's just like, oh, okay. And then it sort of opens the door for a conversation. But yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I think I know what you mean. Yeah. So I just check in with them and I try and mix it up. If they've been stuck in a place for a long time, something fantastical will happen and right. they'll have to deal with it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's hard though. Like, um, the, the game to grow guys, they, they talk about like accordioning, um, your, your sessions. So paying attention to the tempo of what's happening and how much time you've got left in group and where you Absolutely. think you want to leave it and figuring out like, do I need to run through this whole traveling several days from one place to another? Or do I just say it happened and nothing, nothing bad happened to you. Right. You made it to the city. We didn't have to go through seven days of camping in the woods. Right. <laughs> seven days of picking watch, seven days of waiting for random encounters. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we, we try to do that, but sometimes like they're in it. Right. And sometimes combat lasts way longer than you think it's going to. Yep. 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 And sometimes it happens when you don't expect it to. 
Yeah. I, I'm not super great at the accordion thing yet. Um, they, with the kids, I had this Halloween thing that I had planned for them and we didn't get to it until Christmas. And they're like, this is really creepy. And it's weird timing. I'm like, I know you were supposed to be here two months ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's um, always hard. <laughs> yeah. This week it worked out like gangbusters though, just on accident uh, with Star Wars Day. Cause we played on May the 4th and they uh -huh. were in space fighting monsters and ah, learned cool. that lightsabers exist and oh perfect all that timing kind of stuff yeah so that's awesome it's great <laughs> it yeah that's really cool yeah happenstance completely yeah. by accident <laughs> yeah the kids think i am some sort of like magical oracle or something because of the weavers of destiny thing and like how many things have happened or mm -hmm. um and i'm like i just listen to what you guys say right, yeah. and then i make it happen <laughs> yeah no totally that's the idea it's it's just how have you planned all of this thing all of these things to happen so well together and it's just i'm i'm hearing what you're saying and i'm just turning <laughs> it around and it, yeah yeah and sometimes i try to tell like my students like it, you can do this you can be a gm all you got to do is just listen to what people have to say and I think mm -hmm. you're totally right. It's just, it all comes from the players, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They'll tell you exactly. They have way better ideas than I do. Like, I just steal them all. Yeah. <laughs> and they notice it. <laughs> Every once in a while, they'll see my face because I'm so bad at controlling my face. They're like, stop talking about this in front of her. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, don't, don't, plan your, don't plan your way to subvert the GM in front of the GM. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. great. It, it's a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I guess we're getting towards the end of our hour. And uh, I wanted to know, um, like we talked about with Peter, uh, I wanted to sort of end the interview with sort of giving you a chance to sort of talk about like some things that might be beneficial for people to hear. But before we do that, I just remembered, um, how can people get a hold of you? How can they learn more about your groups? Oh boy. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm there because that's where everybody goes. I don't necessarily post a lot, but I'm trying. Um, I'm an elder millennial. So, uh, <laughs> but that's a good way to contact me. It's mm -hmm. um, at pub airs uh, on Twitter. Um, otherwise you can go to my website, um and email me from there uh where dynamic healing therapy.com slash groups <laughs> if that's where you want to go perfect yeah <laughs> and um yeah the, I'm, I'm looking at it right now there's all kinds of information about upcoming groups and how it's mm -hmm. all organized and yeah and i'm on discord that's an other that's another new thing <laughs> that i'm learning how to do uh, my kids made me learn how to do it because they're the ones who wanted the the discord to 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 talk about things between sessions um so now i'm involved in that place as well yeah, yeah. Discord, <laughs> discord is a thing that uh like you were saying i'm an elder millennial myself and you know it's it's just one of those things that you have to let the clients sort of teach you how to use and there it is there it is <laughs> yep yeah so yeah, any of those places, I'm totally fine with talking to people about 
you know, um, trying to figure out how to start groups or mm -hmm. doing like peer consultation. If you already have your own groups, um, you know, what it was like changing from community mental health to private practice. Cause that was a shocker mm -hmm. there. Um, and all the trainings I've been to with like game to grow or like Megan Connell and Dr. B, mm -hmm. um, you know, like there's a lot of awesome resources out there. There's a lot of us therapists around the world. Um, you know, I'm talking to people from like Ireland and like all over the place that that's really cool. And it, it is cool. Um, and I found a couple of people like locally who do it too. And so, you know, now we get together for lunch and, you know, we want to play together in real life. Yeah. Um, so I'm totally about expanding and connecting the nerdy therapist community too, because being a therapist is a pretty lonely place a lot of the time and to avoid burnout and all that imposter syndrome that comes with the job, you know, we need to connect with other people, uh, whether like-minded or different than us to make sure we're on track yeah. um, and still tethered to the earth. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That sort of grounding and check-in can be really helpful. I know it is for me. Yeah, yeah definitely. So whether it's this version online or like mm -hmm. in real life, um, if cons are ever a thing again, I'd love to, to do I hope they are. that. <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. So I'm cool with, uh, yeah, like talking to people if they for want. Sure. Well, um, Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. And um, did you want to lead us out with uh, the ideas that you might be able to give people a little encouragement? Sure. Yeah. So as far as like, whether it is um, therapy or I'd say RPGs, the a thing to remember is it's okay to shop around. Um, I have to remind people of this a lot. Um, it's why we do our free consultations is the fit you have with somebody, the relationship you have with people is the most important part. Um, so, you know, with a therapist, if you don't feel like you could go have a coffee or a beer with them, probably not going to feel comfortable telling them all your super intimate, vulnerable stuff or letting them challenge you. Um, it's, uh, it's okay if it doesn't feel like it's working to speak up and tell them it's not working, but it's okay to find somebody else. Um, and I know the process of shopping around is, is not fun. Um, it takes a lot of work, you know, if you're trying to find somebody who takes your insurance or, you know, are people accepting new clients and, you know, having to retell your story over and over. So, you know, I highly advise shopping around before you deep dive in with somebody. Um, but I feel like that fits with RPG groups too, because, you know, just like we were talking about, there's different styles of DMs, there's different styles of groups. Um, I'm super role play heavy. So if I'm in a group who's like, all right, you're in the town and now there's combat. I'm like, but like, why, why are we here? Um, so I would fit better with like a role play heavy group rather than like a combat rules heavy group. Um, but I also like rules. So if it's just all over the place and super inconsistent, I'm not going to be happy. 
Mm. Um, so, you know, we just, we all just, it's okay. Even if you committed to something to say, Hey, I thought I had all the information I needed when I made this commitment and now I have new information. So I am allowed to change my mind. Yeah. I have to stay just cause you said you would. I think that's really important for a lot of people to hear just yeah. that they can have control in who they talk to and who they get to play with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And even, even if like someone else found your therapist or whoever for you, like you can, you can say that, right. Is, mm. you know, just cause your parents picked somebody for you to talk to, doesn't mean you have to talk to that person. That's a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and like, if, if your insurance made you talk to somebody like there's, there's ways around it. Um, and you don't, if, if it's a burden to be there, you're not, it's not going to be beneficial. Um, just like the burnout you're talking about. So, yeah. well, Cheryl, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and, uh, thanks so much for talking to me today. Yeah. And, thank uh, you. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think that everybody watching should go follow Cheryl on Twitter and take a look at the website and, um, Thank you so much for watching. Take care, be kind, and have fun adventuring.